Have you ever been paralyzed by something? And I don't necessarily mean that your body physically was paralyzed with some physical event, but I mean paralyzed in the sense that you did not know what to do or where to turn. You felt like you were trapped in a box and you just couldn't get out. Now, I'm certain most of us have felt that way at some point in our lives, paralyzed emotionally, physically, even spiritually. If you ever have felt this way, where did you turn for help? In our Bible study this morning, I want to look at a man who faced a paralyzing situation but miraculously found deliverance. I believe his story could be our story. His story could be the story of many today who feel fatigued by the constant barrage of bad news and paralyzing circumstances from which they find no relief. This man in our Bible story found his deliverance in the presence of Jesus. And in his miracle, I believe we can find our own deliverance. So today I want us to look at another encounter with Jesus, how this man got there and how he walked away from his paralyzing situation as we continue our study of people Jesus met and helped and we continue our series on person of interest if you have your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 2 person of interest Mark chapter 2 and if you are willing and able please stand as we honor the reading of God's precious word and I want to share with you uh, I want to read this to you and follow along with me because This story is such a powerful story in the Word. Let's beginning in verse 1. And again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. We'll talk about what that was in just a little bit. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached a word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men, And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where Jesus was, where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic guy there, the man on the ground, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately the man arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I love it when God comes through, and it amazes everybody. Have you ever been amazed by God? Have you? I mean, I am. I shouldn't be surprised when God does something miraculous, but... It is, he is an amazing God. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And I'm so excited to stand here and preach it. I'm not worthy to preach it, Lord. It, these are just old fleshly lips. And 
Lord, I want them to be your lips. I want them to be used by you. And today I just pray, take control of my mind and my eyes and my voice and my mouth. And I pray that, Lord, that you might use me to glorify you and teach people the power of your word, the delivering power of Jesus. And God, I pray that you'll take control of everybody in this place, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, and that we might hear what the Holy Spirit would say because today you have a message for every one of us. And if we'll listen, we'll get it. So I pray that we will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, our Bible story today takes place in Capernaum, which was the town of Peter and his brother Andrew. In fact, Jesus was probably staying with Peter and Andrew, and their home provided the setting and the classroom for Jesus to teach the people who came to hear. Jesus had already become popular in Capernaum as a rabbi and a healer. We Look back with me and let's just do a little Bible reading for a minute from Mark. Just turn back a page and start at verse 29 and notice how Jesus was gaining popularity. Verse 29, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue in Capernaum, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. Let me just say, and this is just not going to cost you anything, it's just a nugget, but do you know that we see from this that Peter was married. Simon Peter was married. And uh, it's even, uh, tradition tells us, Christian tradition tells us that Peter's wife, even though we don't read about her in the New Testament there, Peter's, or except for maybe one time, but Peter's wife actually may have joined him on some of his trips to preach the gospel. Isn't that interesting? So, Peter just thought that was kind of interesting. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. How many people came to Peter's house? The whole city. The whole village of Capernaum. Then he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And he wasn't ready for them to reveal his identity to the world. I wouldn't want demons revealing my identity either, would you? So, Now in the New Testament times, Capernaum was a thriving trade village with about 1,500 people living there. It was there that Jesus stayed with Simon Peter and his wife, Peter's wife and his, and his mother-in-law. He not only healed Peter's mother-in-law, he healed many others in Capernaum. So the whole city came out to bring their needs to Jesus. We see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, and again he entered Capernaum. And after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. So he went away from Capernaum for a few days and he came back. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. So after healing so many people, we saw in Mark 1, 
Jesus got away for a little while, went out of Capernaum, went away to pray and be refreshed with some, some time, special private time with his father, things that we need. And upon returning, the village came out to see Jesus. But this time, Peter's house became not just a place for people to bring their sickness, but it became a classroom for Jesus. And Jesus was the teacher. Now, what was it that Jesus taught these people? Look at, look at the, the verse again. The verses, verse 2. He preached what to them? The what? Do you say, read it. He preached the what? The Word. Now, that should be a capital W, okay? Because Word, with a capital W, the Word means the Word of God. Why didn't Jesus talk about other things? I mean... He might have talked about politics in Capernaum. Do we hear a lot about politics today? Oh, yeah. He might have talked about, he might have talked about climate change, maybe. Hey, do we hear a lot about that? Yes. He might have talked about inflation in Capernaum. He might, he might have talked about that. He may have talked about self-esteem issues. He might have given them some kind of... Uh, a fast-track plan to feel better about yourself and your circumstances. He could have given them all these things because Jesus has ultimate wisdom. He, he, could teach, he could talk about anything. He could talk about anything. I mean, He could have given them information that they would never have dreamed about. Things we know today, Jesus knew all about that. You know, the technology, and now we're talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and that's very prevalent today. But what did Jesus teach them? He taught them what? The what? The Word of God. And why did Jesus just stick to the Word of God? Because the Word of God is the only thing that can truly deliver. Temporary relief or euphoria is not real deliverance. That's not what people really need, not then, not now. To find a deep, settled peace, we need something that's going to last a lifetime and beyond. And the only thing that can do that is the what? The Word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, read this with me, I'll have it on the screen, ready? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now what can Jesus do? Read it with me. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you will be what? Free indeed. That's something no one else can do for you. As before, when the news spread that Jesus was teaching in Simon Peter's home, so many people came to hear Jesus, the house couldn't hold them all. First century houses were usually constructed of rough cut stones from the quarry with walls about two feet thick and for both insulation and strength. Windows were few, they were located kind of high on the wall. And uh, really, they were constructed interesting. In an interesting way, they were narrow on the outside and wide on the inside to keep out intruders but to let in the light. I have a picture of a house that, uh, the interior of a house 
something like Jesus probably was in, something like Simon Peter's house. Uh, the roof was constructed of cypress or sycamore beams, usually about 8 to 10 feet long, which dictated, by the way, the width of the house and the rooms. It could only, it could only be as wide as the beams were along. And laid on top of the beams were smaller branches and sod. Typical walls had, typical homes had walls that were 7 to 10 feet high. And it had outside stairs leading up to the roof, which made it easier to maintain the roof and even to use the roof for perhaps prayer or whatever they might do there. So the roof became an important part of the story and of this man's miracle. And so remember what you're seeing there of the way it looked as we look at verses 3 and 4, chapter 2. So, then they came to him, capital H, him, Jesus. Then they came to Jesus, bringing a paralytic, someone who couldn't walk, he was paralyzed, who was carried by four men. And when those men could not come near Jesus and bring this paralyzed guy, because of the crowd, these men, these four men, uncovered the roof where Jesus was, so when they had broken through the roof, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now the New Testament does not give us very much information about this man. We don't know his name. Neither do we know what brought on his condition. He could have been born this way. We just don't know. What we do know is that this man had a paralyzing condition. I mean, he was unable physically unable to walk. This man spent day after day lying on a mat, unable to transport himself from one place to the other. In the New Testament times, people who were, on, who were in this paralyzed position, paralyzed condition, were often beside the roads or in the marketplace begging. There was no future for a paralyzed person, only a life of begging dependent on someone else to give them money or help. And this is the kind of person we see in Scripture passage. A person who, in the eyes of his world, probably didn't have a whole lot of worth. But to Jesus and these four men who carried him, this man was a person of great interest. These four men picked up the paralyzed victim, picked him up on his mat, and carried him to the house where Jesus was teaching. We do not know if these four men knew the paralyzed victim. We do not know if they were his friends or just strangers who had seen him and had compassion on the man. But in any event, these four carried the helpless man to the house where he could find help from Jesus. You know, I can kind of picture this in my mind. Let's think about it for a minute. Here is this man, perhaps for the first time in his life, having some hope for relief from his paralyzed life. Perhaps these four good Samaritans were telling this poor man as they carried him along, cheer up, your help is on the way, for Jesus can heal you. Now I can just see tears run down this man's face as he was being carried toward Jesus. 
I can just imagine the expression on his face, an expression of gratitude to the four men, an expression of gratitude to God. Oh, thank you, Lord. As he was carried along, as well as the amazement in his eyes that there was someone who actually cared about him and someone who could help him. But then, can you also can you see the expression change as they got near the house and they began to see that there was a crowd so large that they were spilling out the door and no hope of even one person getting through, much less a man being carried on a stretcher. And here was the expression that changed as he thought, oh no, oh no, there's no hope. Still, these four courageous and committed men, perhaps they said, don't give up, friend. They would not allow this overwhelming obstacle to stop them from completing their mission. Somehow, they were going to get this paralyzed man into the presence of the one who could set him free. They climbed the stairs, those outside stairs, to the roof of the house. They broke through the sod, they pulled it back, and they broke through the branches, the branches on the roof, and they made a hole big enough between the beams, because they were usually spaced about uh, a man, uh, the height of a man apart, and he, they, they broke through and they made a hole big enough to lower this paralyzed man directly down in front of Jesus. Now, as I said, there's no indication that these four men knew the victim, but on that day, <laughs> this poor paralyzed man, he never had better friends. Just think about the risk and the cost to these four individuals who carried, who cared enough about this paralyzed man to complete this mission of compassion. Just carrying, just think about it. Have you ever tried to carry someone who couldn't walk? I mean, just carrying someone for who knows how much distance. It could have been a great distance across town. Just carrying somebody that far was difficult. How about carrying someone up the side of a house on some steps? How about carrying this man who couldn't help himself, carrying him up to the roof? What if they dropped him? He could have died. There was a risk involved. And then the cost, what about tearing the roof up and making a hole in someone's roof? It, they were either going to have to pay for it or they were going to have to fix it themselves. So there was risk involved. It could have been a great risk, a great cost involved. And then finally, even after all their efforts, even after they got him up there, even after they opened the roof, tore the roof up, even after they lowered the man before Jesus, there was no guarantee that Jesus would heal this man. In fact, don't you know, it, I mean, it wasn't really neat and clean because while they're sitting inside, here comes the dirt. <laughs> and the grass, and the sticks, and they're all dropping down right there in front of Jesus, maybe dropping on Jesus. And Jesus could have said, what do you think you're doing up there? You're disrupting my teaching here, my classroom. You've disrupted my lesson. Get out from there. What are you doing here? Jesus could have said that. 
He might have scolded them for creating that disturbance. So these four took a great risk to get this paralyzed man in front of Jesus, but they believed the risk was worth taking. They had faith that if they could lay this poor man before Jesus, Jesus would meet his needs. So this man, in his paralyzed condition, was laid on the floor before Jesus. He had been brought to the front of the line, and all eyes now were upon him and his helpless condition. What do you suppose, with this man laying at the feet of Jesus, what do you suppose went through the minds of the people there? What, did, what, what do you believe they thought Jesus would do? What do you think? What, do you think? what were they thinking Jesus would do? Well, what if you saw a paralyzed man in front, in front of Jesus? What would you think? Jesus would heal him, right? I mean, that's what I would think. I would think Jesus is going to heal this man. That's right. But Jesus did something that no one there expected him to do. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. What? <laughs> Son, your sins are forgiven you. The four men, I, can you imagine that? I mean, the four men had gone through great trouble, great risk to get this guy down in front of Jesus. I'm wondering if they're scratching their head. What did he just say? Your sins are forgiven. This man can't walk. He needs some help. He needs somebody. He needs Jesus. Can, Jesus, the man can't walk. The man is in trouble. He needs some help. Let me tell you that Jesus saw something that day that he used really as an object lesson there. Look at it again. Now, read the first phrase with me. Ready? Go. When Jesus saw their faith. Let's stop right there. Well, whose faith did he see? The faith of the four and the faith of the one. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. You see, this man was not the only person of interest on that day to Jesus. There were five who became persons of interest that day. Jesus was moved by something. What was he moved by? Their what? Their faith, right? You see, Jesus had been teaching the Word of God. And here now, that's what he had been teaching. Remember, been teaching the Word of God, but now there is an object lesson. This man and these four became an object lesson. The lesson that he wanted everybody to understand from God's Word, that faith moves the heart of God. The Bible says unbelief is sin. You see, doubting God's a sin. Hebrews eleven six, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's really God. He can do anything. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When, G when Jesus' disciples were unable to cast out a demon in another story he, a father brought his young son to these disciples the this demon had 
possessed this boy and, and it was throwing him into the fire and burning him and all kinds of stuff. And this desperate father brought, these, brought his little boy, his young son, we don't know how little he was, but brought his young son to the disciples for them to help him. And the disciples were trying to cast this demon out of him and the demon said, no. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, well, the father's thinking, what's wrong with you people, you know? I mean... You know, so uh, Jesus then enters the scene and sees what's going on because the father's pretty upset at those disciples. And Jesus said, hold on a second, come out. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> he, he vacated. He quit. He quickly left. The demon left. Jesus told him to get out. Now, then the disciples said to Jesus, asked Jesus, said, well, Jesus, why could we not cast out this demon? And I've got it written down for you. Jesus said to them, Matthew 17, 20, because of your, what? Unbelief. So because of your unbelief, you're not going to see a miracle done. That's what Jesus said. You did not see a miracle because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a what? Mustard seed. Tiny little black seed. Tiny seed. You will say to this what? Mountain. Move from here to there. And that mountain will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. Now it's not great faith folks that moves mountains and moves obstacles and sets people free from their paralyzed conditions. It is faith in a great God. It's mustard seed-sized faith in a God that's bigger than the mountains, you see. When God enters our circumstances, his, He has the power to change everything. We just have to trust Him to do what is best. And that's what happened in the crowded room that day. Faith was tested. The faith of that man on the floor. The faith of the four who were looking down through the hole in the roof. The faith of all those people who are listening to the Word of God. Crippled legs and limbs were no problem for Jesus. He could heal all the crippled of the world. All he had, he could, in, with one word out of his mouth, everybody in the whole world who had been crippled, they could have gotten up, everybody, if he had chosen to do that. But on that day, all those people gathered in that room needed to learn a valuable lesson from God's Word. And this is the lesson. Read it with me. Let's turn to the next one. Ready? Let's go. The greatest need of man is not to be free from a condition which paralyzes physically or emotionally, but to be in a right relationship with God. That's the greatest need. That's the greatest need of anyone. That's your greatest need. My greatest need. That's the greatest need of everyone, everyone in the world. This man had suffered greatly because of the paralyzed condition of his body. You know, he might have been paralyzed all his life, never to have felt the grass under his feet, never to have run and played as other children did, never to have known the joy of independence, of being able to care for his basic needs. To bring life back into this man's legs was a great, a very great need, and everyone in that room knew it. But Jesus knew that it was not his greatest need. The greatest need this man had, had was to be forgiven by God. So what did Jesus say to him? Son, your sins are what? Forgiven. 
That was his greatest need. That was his greatest need. Perhaps he thought his greatest need was to walk again. Perhaps everybody in that room thought the greatest need was for him to walk again. Jesus said, no, that's not the greatest need. Jesus did for the man what he needed most, even if no one realized it. But he taught them that, didn't he? He did what he needed, the man needed most and first. Before that man needed physical healing, he needed to be brought into a right relationship with God. He had to be forgiven. He had to be delivered spiritually before he could be delivered physically. You see, Jesus taught an important lesson to that, that day about our greatest needs. Look at what I've written there for you. Our greatest needs are not physical needs, not emotional needs, not relational needs, not financial needs, not self-esteem needs. Our greatest needs are what kind of needs? Spiritual needs. Our need to know God, to love God, and serve God. What is our greatest need? Our need, our need to do what? Know God love God, and serve God. In our school, when I'm having chapel with these students, and they'll be coming in the end of August, and pray that God will continue to bring students to us. We need more students. Because the thing that I tell them, and they, will rem they remember this, that Pastor Donnie said that more than anything else, I wanted them to learn to love Jesus. Because if you'll love Jesus, everything else will fall in place. If you really love Jesus. Now, that takes faith and forgiveness. The two things that brought healing to this man. If we're going to receive the forgiveness of God, we have to have faith in Jesus. We must believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. That He came to earth and lived a holy life, and then He suffered, bled, and died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And then He rose from the dead to give eternal life to everyone who will receive Him and confess Him as Lord and Savior. Paul said, read this verse with me, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the greatest need anyone could have. And everyone who has been forgiven and brought into a love relationship with God through Jesus understands that. The Pharisees and scribes in that room that day, it says the scribes were there, but I'm sure the Pharisees were there. They understood that only God can forgive sins. Isn't that what they said? They thought Jesus was identifying himself as God, and he was. And they thought he was committing blasphemy, but Jesus was just telling them the truth. Jesus was teaching the Word of God to them, which was the Old Testament. And God's Old Testament promised, in the Old Testament, there's the promise of a New Testament through a Messiah who would come with a new covenant. And those prophet, prophecies were all speaking about who? Jesus. Now what did Jesus what Jesus did in forgiving this man and then delivering this man from his paralysis proved that Jesus is God. He's got the power to set us free 
from the, par- the paralysis of sin in our lives. He has the power to set us free from the paralysis of anything in our lives. Jesus can just set us free. Glory, hallelujah. Now, on that day, the powerful Word of God became alive before these people. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, you know, well, he makes himself to be the Son of God and he's coming blasphemy. When he, when he knew what they were thinking, guess what? God knows what you're thinking. He can read your mind. That's, that's kind of tough sometimes, isn't it? And Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking when he reasoned they were thinking that. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or say, arise and take up your bed and walk? (laughs) But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose. Right then, at the word of Jesus, he arose. Life came back into his legs. Strength. He arose. He took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God. And what did they say? We never saw anything like this. On that day, this man was really set free from his paralyzed condition, spiritually and physically. When Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, go home, a new person, this man obeyed the word of Jesus, and he walked out of that room a new man with a new heart, a new set of legs, and a new life. Jesus freed him from his paralyzed condition, and Jesus can do the same for us today. Amen? It doesn't matter what your condition is. He can help. He can heal. You might know exactly how this man felt. Today, you may feel trapped, paralyzed by sin or some situation. Folks, I've, in my lifetime, I've known a lot of paralyzed people. I've known people paralyzed by fear. Something happened that was so frightening, they just stood there and could not move. I remember as a little boy running across the road when I was in a little store in China Grove, North Carolina with my grandmother. And I ran out the door, and I wasn't paying attention. And I ran across traffic, and the car horn blew. And I stopped as his tire was that far from my, from my feet. He stopped, I stopped, and I was frozen. I couldn't move. And they had to come get me. Come get me. I was scared to death. I was just a little fella. You know, uh, I've known people paralyzed by fear like that. They couldn't move. I've known people who were paralyzed by debt. They had borrowed so much money, the interest on the debt was greater than they could repay, and they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. They were desperate, depressed, not knowing where to turn. I've known people who are paralyzed by all kinds of things. And people turn to all kinds of things in the world to try and escape circumstances that paralyze them. They turn to drugs and alcohol. But folks, i got to tell you, that won't help. In fact, when you turn to substances, there's no end. Proverbs 23 gives us a good description of those who are addicted to alcohol and, by, and drugs also. I mean, just take a look. You, you say, what does the Bible say about it? Well, here it is. Don't gaze at wine because it's red. In other words, don't look at it and say, oh boy, that's good. Don't gaze at wine because it's red when it gleams in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. 
your eyes will see strange things. And you will say absurd things. You'll be like someone sleeping out at sea, drunk. Or lying down on top of a ship's mast. The world will spin. They struck me, but I feel no pain. Folks, I've seen this, okay? They beat me up, I didn't even know it. When will I wake up? I'll look for another drink. What does he say? He said, I'm, a lot. He said, I'm drunk, I'm staggering, I can't talk straight, you know, my, my tongue is sick, my eyes are red. I mean, I am just, I, you know, I had my first drink and now I'm a drunk. I can't even feel it if somebody slaps me or hits me. I, I don't know what I'm saying. And when I wake up, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get another drink. That's what he said. And that's the way it is. And people are turning to that stuff. They're turning to that. I, listen, they're turning to, to, to alcohol and drugs. They're turning to the lottery. I, I cannot believe the amount of money people are spending on lottery. People that don't have enough money to buy milk. They'll go down there or bread and go down and spend everything they got. They can't wait to get paid again to spend their whole paycheck at the Circle K. Folks, listen. When you're hooked on stuff, you can never get enough to satisfy your need. These things paralyze your ability to think clearly, to live victoriously. Satan has so many people today trapped in their own sin. Their own sinful choices are crippling them in so many ways. Their own lack of faith in God is keeping them down, unable to rise above the pain and misery that surrounds them. And yet there's someone who can help, folks. Someone who can deliver them. Someone who can raise them up to new life and peace and joy. And that someone is Jesus. The same Jesus who healed the paralyzed man, who entered that room, that paralyzed man who entered the room as a helpless individual, but who left that room as a miracle who could help others. Friends, I know what it's like to have circumstances paralyze you. As a little eight-year-old boy, my life was turned upside down when my dear mother suffered a terrible mental collapse that paralyzed her. I have put a lot of things out of my mind. I was trying to think, what was, what did I do in the third grade? I, I have put so much out of my mind. But I remember well as a little second grade boy living in fear that my mother would not be alive when I got home from school. She threatened to kill herself a lot. My mother was paralyzed emotionally. And it affected me. It affected my family. For years, I had no confidence in myself. I remember being asked, by my school teacher to answer a question aloud in class. I remember sitting there and I got paralyzed. I was asked to just answer a question. I couldn't talk. I was just paralyzed. Paralyzed by fear. That's not a good thing, especially for someone who would end up being a preacher to not be able to talk. But during all those fearful, uncertain days, I, I know the Lord was with me. I accepted Jesus when I was nine. And I meant it. And Jesus sent people to help me. Uh, several godly aunts and uncles who were in the ministry and who told me stories of faith and how God could do miracles. And especially my grandmother. They taught me, people like this, they taught me about trusting God, about his ability to know what was, to trust God to know what was best for me. And that he had a purpose for me. They showed me through their own testimony and their life that if I would follow Jesus and obey His Word, He would raise me up and fulfill His purpose 
for me, you know, my grandmother, my wife when I met her, she wondered why I was, what kind of bond did I have with my grandmother. Uh, it's because she was that person that picked up my mat and brought me to Jesus. She took me to church. She taught me to love God's Word. My mother was paralyzed with fear. As I grew up, God sent other people in my life, other Christians who had helped me stay with Jesus, follow Jesus. As a young man, hearing God's call to ministry, He led me to a beautiful woman that He made just for me, my wife, who would be my partner in ministry. God brought all these people into my life to help me follow Jesus. He gave me four wonderful children so I could continue to try to set the example of a godly husband and father to point them to Jesus. He brought all these people in my life. And folks, if you think back in your life, God used people in your life just like He did for me. Just like He did for this paralyzed man. To help you find God's purpose and follow Jesus. And if you have faith in Jesus and He forgives you and He saves you, then it's always so that you can then help others find Jesus. You see, these are the important truths we need to learn from this passage. What God knows about our needs. Number one, read it with me. God always knows what is best for us. Sometimes we think we know what we need. You know, we pray for something we believe we need. Thank you, Lord, that you have not answered all my prayers. <laughs> but what we should do is pray that God will do what he knows is best for us. Amen. And, you know, the Lord knows you better than you know yourself. He watches over you all the time. He goes with you through every struggle, through every joy, through every success, through every trial, through every failure. He promises that He will never leave you or forsake you if you put your trust in Him. What God said to Isaiah, He says to all of us who follow Him today, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can always trust the Lord to do what's best for us. And we must trust Him because that's what faith is. Trusting Jesus no matter what's happening at the moment. No matter our circumstances. You know, it's believing His Word and following His Word, even when life is hard and trouble is trying to paralyze us. Faith in God's Word will give us hope in these paralyzing times. But we still... But we will not know God's will unless we take time to read His Word and listen for His voice. God speaks in a number of ways, but primarily He speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Word, His Word. When you need an answer, seek that answer first in God's Word. Take time every day for God in His Word to listen to God. Because as D.L. Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. God told Joshua and the children of Israel, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's Word is life to us. The Bible reveals God and His will to us, and that's why it's so, so powerful. Jesus used the Word to withstand Satan's temptation, and it will work for us as well. The Word will send the devil packing. It will. The Word of God will be a lamp to your feet and a light into your path if you let it. We find strength and hope in God's Word. It will never fail. Secondly, God always knows who will come alongside us and help us follow Jesus. God always knows who 
will come alongside us and help us follow Jesus. Sometimes when trying to follow Jesus, we feel like we're all alone. That his journey's one which we have to travel ourselves. We might lose hope when our faith is tested and we face trials even when we're following Jesus. But we're never alone, folks. Not only did Jesus promise to never leave us, he sends people into our lives to help us and encourage us in our spiritual journey. Elijah felt this frustration after his great victory on Mount Carmel when the fire of God fell from heaven, defeated his evil enemies, wicked Queen Jezebel put a price on his head and vowed to kill him. So Elijah, what did he do? Frustrated and feeling abandoned, he went to a cave and hid. Sulking, afraid to come out, paralyzed by fear and his disappointment of God. So God told Elijah to come to the mouth of the cave, and Elijah did. God sent a powerful tornado, an earthquake, a raging fire, and then a still small voice. God said to Elijah, Elijah, son, it's time for you to leave this cave and get back to my purpose for your life. You might feel alone like you're the only spiritual person in the world, but I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him, you're not alone. Elijah left that cave. He went back to work. He anointed the next king of Syria. He anointed the next king of Israel, and then he called on the next prophet, the next prophet of God, a man named Elisha. God knew what Elijah needed and who Elijah needed, and God always knows what we need and who we need to accomplish what He has purposed for us. But finally, God always knows where we need to be and when we need to be there. So think about the healing of this man in the story. When was the best time for this healing to take place? At the very time it did. When all those people could learn a spiritual lesson about faith in Jesus. And how should it have happened? Just the way it did, with four men exercising faith and showing a spiritual lesson and getting another person with a need to Jesus. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. How do we know? How do we know it? Because God does it. And he loves us. What would have been, listen, what would have happened if these men had not taken the risk to carry the paralyzed man? What if they had gotten to the house and the crowd was there, but they said, we can't carry him to the roof? What if this man had refused to follow Jesus' word when Jesus said, get up? What if he had said, Jesus, I can't walk. I can't carry my bed. Folks, everything worked out the way it was supposed to do to work out because the Lord was working out each, each detail. But let me tell you something. This man had to get to Jesus. He, if he had stayed outside, he would not have had his miracle. Now, he might have heard the word, but he would have not received the miracle. Folks, let me tell you something. If you want a miracle in your life, if you want Jesus to set you free, you got to get down at the feet of Jesus. You got to get to Jesus. You've got to get in fellowship with Jesus. You can't be across the room. You can't be across the country. You've got to get in the presence of Jesus. And if you do, He can do anything. He can heal you. He can help you. He can do anything. If you get in the presence of Jesus and you say to Him, God, I don't know what's best, but you do. And here I am. Say to me what you want to say. And I'll do it. And folks, when God raises us up from our paralyzed condition, it's always so we can bring glory to Him and help others find Jesus. And that's our ultimate purpose in the plan of God. That's why He saved you and I. God saves us so that we can know Him and make Him known. 
And that's what happened to this man in the room that day, the man who was a person of interest to Jesus. He stood and walked, and he became a witness to all who saw him. Verse 12, remember again? Immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, Well, we never saw anything like this. Did this man obey the word of the Lord? Yes. When Jesus told him to take up his bed and go home, the man took up his bed and walked out the door and you man. When you came to Jesus, a lost sinner, and you called upon him to forgive you and save you, it was, if it was real, if you really meant that confession, if your faith was true and you really believed the Word of God, then guess what? You walked away a new person. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We cannot come to Jesus in our old sinful paralyzed condition and leave the same way we came. When we come to Jesus in faith, He sets us free. Free to serve Him with a new life. We have His own Holy Spirit within us, a greater power than any other. And His life is our life. Paul said, therefore we were buried with Him, with Jesus through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Are you with me? Newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also, should, we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing that this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Folks, you know, we've talked about baptism, how the Baptist church would go into the water and rise out of the water as a symbol of what Jesus has done in our lives. Folks, you have real new life in you, resurrection life, the life of Jesus. Our body has died to the power of sin which paralyzed it. Our spirit lives with a new eternal life. Everything about your salvation is a miracle. You were that man on that mat when you met Jesus paralyzed by sin separated from God by sin but when you got to Jesus He saved you He did whatever it took He took the risk for you He, gave, he paid the price for you it cost Him everything to die on that cross for you so that you might break through to eternal life and folks if that's happened to you with our own faith, we must show those who are paralyzed by their circumstances that faithfully following Jesus always leads to new life. It always does. I read a story so powerful. Let me read it with you. If you've ever clung to a child near death, you know the dramatic fork in the road. You either give in almost totally to despair, fear, hopelessness, Knowing death is imminent, realizing no miracle cure is coming, you're fighting a losing battle, or you believe there's a God over all things, authority. You believe He wants good things for His children. You believe some things transpire here on this awful earthly plane that are not His will because He's a good God. You believe He has a good plan for man and a good will. You believe if you can just have an audience with this good God and make your case that he who is able will change the course of your situation and your child will rise from the bed of sickness and live. Well, lying on a cot at the midnight hour in Arkansas Children's Hospital, Thursday, May 14, 1987, that's when I decided that that was the character of the God I served. In-laws all around jibber-jabbering, sick platitudes. Let's hold hands and give, thank give God thanks for giving us this little boy for seven days 
as we now give him back to God. God needs another angel in heaven. Well, I want you to know I didn't hold hands and stand in any family circle of prayer. I was too busy doing battle with the devil and then going back to the throne room to give the Father an operations report. I had no pride. If I lost the battle, I already had my speech prepared. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You did not do this, but even if they slay me, yet will I serve you. I get confused, I get discouraged, but you're my God, there's no other. I worship you today in the hour of my loss and grief in Jesus' name. I had that speech prepared, and then at 3.30 a.m. on Friday, May 15, 1987, I stood with the Holy Spirit beside me, surrounded by doubters and unbelievers, not a single person of faith, everyone giving me the most pathetic look I'd ever seen in my life as I demanded a bottle of formula so I could feed my yet unconscious newborn son as the Holy Spirit had instructed me to do when I prayed to God. It was a lot of trouble, but the nurse finally procured one for me. It was like, she felt like it was like a dying person's final request granted. And when the nipple of that bottle touched that little boy Clint's lips, the one they said was not going to make it, his eyes popped open, he just about sucked the bottle inside out, and he drank two and a half bottles. I didn't say to those people, I told you so. I said, he told me so. Now, people may not always understand why God does the things he does. They don't always understand why things happen to us, to good people. We might say, well, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? But no matter what we face, folks, we'll always do better if we listen to Jesus. He who loves us more than his own life always knows what's best in every one of our situations. And by the way, folks, he is still speaking and his word will still set us free. Amen? Would you bow with me? While our heads are bowed, can I just ask you, what is happening in your life? What is happening? Are you, are you enjoying your spiritual freedom in Jesus and His life? And, or are you trapped in something? Are you paralyzed in some circumstance? Can you say, Pastor Donnie, I'm, I'm that man laying on that mat. I'm, I'm paralyzed. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, folks. He really loves you. He can really help you. He will speak to you if you'll listen. Are you listening for the voice of Jesus? There's a lot of other voices. But Jesus right now is speaking to your heart and your mind. And He's calling you to rise up and walk. To be set free by His saving power. But you have to be, have faith and be forgiven. Would you like that? Pray with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you as humble as I know how with all my problems and all my sin. I believe you love me, that you died on the cross and shed your blood for me, that you gave up everything for me so that I could be forgiven. And Jesus, that's my greatest need. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. 
I ask you to come into my heart and my life and be my Savior. I ask you to come in and give me new life, eternal life. I want to follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven. I accept you right now. I confess that you are my Savior. And I can promise I'm going to follow you, Jesus, from now on, no matter what. If you prayed that prayer, boy, if you prayed that prayer and the Holy Spirit came in your life, you ought to, you'll know right now that something has happened, that there's new life in you today. And you need to put legs to that faith, and you need to keep coming to church and serving God and don't make excuses, and you need to, to get with Him every day and pray and learn about Him and what He wants for you. And Christian, what about you? What are you doing with your new life? Are you living in defeat or are you listening to Jesus? Has the devil tricked you to where, he think, where you think you're paralyzed? You're not paralyzed. The Word of God will raise you up as it did that man. He wants you to start living for Him. Don't live for yourself. Let go of that mess in the world that's holding you down. That addiction or whatever it is. That fear. Let it go. You've got to get close enough to Jesus to cast your care upon Him. So you get close to Jesus. You start listening to Jesus. You be faithful. You be committed to worship. You get in church and stay there. And you start following Jesus. And then use that new life to bring someone to Him. Are you willing to take a corner of a mat to sow a seed of His salvation and help someone know about your Savior? If you're willing to help, some, to help someone else get to Jesus, He will give you a person of interest to carry. Someone helped you find Jesus.